Hi, everyone. My name is Greg, and welcome back to the podcast, My First Season. In this podcast, I interview people who work for resorts, hotels, cruise ships, and airlines, and we'll talk about their first season in the travel and tourism industry. My guest today and I work together at Club Med Columbus Isle, Bahamas, and 99-2000. That's right. We survived Y2K together. His first season was in Cancun in 1998, and he's going to tell us all about it. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone, please help me welcome Nick Margellos. Nick, how are you, sir? Hey, Greg. How's it going? Good. Everything okay uh, in Las Vegas? I think that's where you are. It is, yeah. Is this, this... Me and Veronica live here in Las Vegas now. And you're originally from Vancouver, I think? Originally from Vancouver, Canada, correct. That's right. Okay. Where about in Vancouver? I grew up on the, I grew up really in the heart of the city. I spent most of my time in Kitsilano and, and uh, the downtown area. So okay. it was nice. And uh, we actually, uh, you know, are looking forward to maybe moving back there one day. Oh, really? Yeah. So you have, I guess you have dual citizenship now, I'm guessing. I do. Yeah. Lucky. So you went from Vancouver to Vegas. So what's the, any culture shock when you go from Vancouver to Vegas? <laughs> Besides the besides well, the heat, okay. quite a lot. Quite okay. a lot. The heat is the big one. Okay. Uh, I I find it weird when I go north that the sun in the summers because we usually go up and visit my family in the summer and the sun sets at like ten o'clock at night uh, because it's so much further north than where we are. That's true. So uh, you know it, it's a a little little bizarre when it's ten or ten thirty and uh, the sun is still up uh, for us. So. Almost like almost like going from Vegas to Alaska, huh? Okay, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> all right, so you know uh, why we're here and what we do. Uh, I'm here to learn all about your first season, even though I met you uh, in 2000, 99, 2000. I don't know if I asked you about. <laughs> so forgive me if I didn't ask you about it then, or I forgot. But if you can just take me back in time and uh, tell me where you were, uh, what you were doing, were you going to school, working, and then how'd you find out about Club Med? Well, sure. I'm going to cheat a little because Cancun 98 was my first season for when I worked continuously for the club, but I actually worked for Club Med in 1993 as an au pair in Sonora Bay, Mexico. Okay. So were you in Vancouver before that? I was. I uh, just graduated high school and uh, my sister and I went down to Sonora Bay for two weeks on vacation as a little bit of a graduation present and uh, we were there, uh, had a great time. We made a lot of really good friends. And I had become a scuba instructor that summer. And the scuba team needed a couple of scuba instructors. So they asked if I'd stay. And I told my sister, I said, go home and tell my job I quit. I'm going to stay here. Wait, wait, what were you doing in Vancouver for a job? Well, I was working in a warehouse. So it oh. wasn't anything glorious. Yeah, I wasn't so... on any kind of uh, career path uh, <laughs> to, to greatness. I uh, it so was you're just, like, uh, driving a forklift in a warehouse. So you're like, I'm going to go swim with the seals, tell them I quit, right? Basically. Exactly. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I ended up staying there for about two more months uh, and helped close the village. And, and then I went home after that. Okay, let's back up just a bit. So what, okay. made, what made you decide to be a scuba instructor? Uh, I've been scuba diving since I was about 11 years old. I did probably my first 400 scuba dives up in British Columbia. It's uh, really considered some of the best cold water scuba diving in the world. Now, did someone get you into it or you just came to it on your own? Uh, they came to our school and, and let us try it out uh, in, in our pool. And I just fell in love with it. And it turned out to be one of the uh, couple of... Uh, uh, 
sports or hobbies that I was really into. And I dove on weekends all the time and just wanted to become a scuba instructor. So do you remember the first time? So I guess you do. I think everyone remembers their first time when you're actually uh, have the regulator in your mouth and you're breathing underwater. Do you remember that? Well, (laughs) it's a few years ago, but I can't say I remember the exact time. But I remember the joy that I used to feel when I would go in and I would do classes in their uh, pool down on Granville Island and uh, and then going out on weekends for ocean dives. It was a lot of fun. It was a nice little community. So when you uh, stayed in in Sonora Bay, did you did you do the dive with the, the seals? Of course. That's the uh, that's the highlight of Sonora Bay, going out to Seal Island and playing with the sea lions and seals. Yeah, I uh, was there on vacation in 95 myself. And that, yeah, that's probably the best dive I ever had and even though they tell you what to expect you can't really expect a a seal coming at you 30 miles an hour turning on a dime in front of your face and you know (laughs) yeah I, I still say that those sea lions are my favorite animal to swim with and I've had a chance now to swim with sharks turtles uh whale sharks manta rays all of these different animals but those seals were, were still my favorite. They, they just love to play with the scuba divers and play with our bubbles. Uh, they love to try to, to scare you exactly like you said. Uh, one of the fun games we used to always play with them was uh, copycat. And you'd get one that would come and look at you, kind of tilt in its head, and you'd, you know, you'd do a somersault in the water. And then all of a sudden, they'd look at you really weird, and they'd do a somersault. And then you'd do a twist, and they'd do a twist, and they'd try to imitate you. It was really neat. And uh, I guess you also saw when the big, the big mama drops into the water too, right? Uh, yeah. She yeah, makes, the, she makes the quite a noise. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, uh, when they don't like how close you're getting to the young ones, they'll come along and bark at you, uh, spit a little air at you, or uh, even grab your fin and shake you around a little bit. <laughs> so did they like ask for any credentials like did the chief of sport or chief of village ask for any credentials like or you just said hey I'm a scuba instructor you need help or did anyone ask you anything well, I had I had my uh, instructor card uh, obviously I was a couple months in and uh, as an instructor and so I was showing off that a uh, patty open water instructor card like uh, <laughs> it's a like chick magnet a, that card I yeah, hear like right? it was my passport <laughs> or something I mean I wanted to I wanted everyone to know because I was a young 18 year old kid and I wanted everyone to know here I am I got my I'm an instructor and so yeah it, was, it just came up uh, one time where, you know, they said that they were looking for instructors and I said, well, I'll stay. And uh, I offered and they said, yeah, I'll talk to the chief of village. And uh, they got back to me later that day and said, yeah, if you want to stay, you can stay au pair or room and board and uh, stay to close the season because that way other instructors can go and go to their next villages and not get delayed. You said this was Sonora Bay in 93? Correct. Okay. So from... So what happened from 93 to 98? Did you go back to Vancouver? Yeah, so I ended up going back to Vancouver. One of my other big pastimes was rugby. And I had a tryout and I had made a a Canadian junior rugby tour that was going to go over to Europe. And so I was very excited that I had a career, a potential career ahead of me in rugby. I, I I ended up getting bumped off the tour, a funny story for later. Okay. But uh, I ended up deciding to go down and I moved down to New Zealand for a year to get really good at rugby. And I wanted to try to go professional playing rugby. So when I was, I guess, 19, by the time that all happened, I went down and I, I played rugby in New Zealand for a year. Wow. That's, uh, that's probably a whole other podcast in itself. <laughs> did, they, uh, yeah. eat, did they eat you alive at first or were they all friendly? It, it was pretty funny because, you know, when they heard my accent, 
And, you know, they knew I was from Canada. They're like, do you even play rugby in Canada? And, you know, <laughs> I tried to be, you know, play it a little coy. And, and uh, I, you know, I ended up uh, earning a lot of their respect. I, I, I played uh, two seasons there. I played a lot of hard rugby. Uh, the bummer, though, was that I ended up taking uh, a string of concussions right at the, the end of my last season. So it basically ended my professional career before it started. And so I, I, I sort of sulked back to Vancouver and, uh, and was, was sitting around there. And I, you know, I wasn't playing rugby. I was like, can I, sorry, Nick, can I ask what position you're playing to get all these concussions? <laughs> and, uh, in the back row, I was playing okay. flanker number eight. Oh, okay. So Got it. Doing okay. a lot of high speed tackling. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense now. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> back in Vancouver. <laughs> no, no problem. No. So I went back to Vancouver and, you know, I, was just sitting around. I'd got a job at, at another warehouse. I was a forklift driver and, you know, I'm sitting there in the middle of winter in Vancouver in the pouring rain, you know, it's all cloudy and miserable. And I was just thinking about it. I'm like, I would be an, I would be an absolute fool if I didn't try that club med thing again. And so I called the club med office and I think it was like a Friday. And I asked, I said, you know, I worked au pair uh, back in 90, 93, can I, uh, come by and can I come and work again? They're like, well, you do need to interview and we'll be up in Vancouver in about four months doing interviews, or we do interviews down here in Sandpiper every Monday. So I said, okay, I'll be there Monday. And I went and I bought a ticket and I flew down there on Monday and I went and did an interview. Are you serious? Yeah, I so, was. So you when I, flew... when my mind was made up, okay. I went. All right. So you flew from okay, Vancouver. Now, um, are we are we now in 98 now? Yeah. So, well, 97. It was uh, 97? Okay. The, the latter part of 97. I think it was okay. probably uh, November or December uh, in Vancouver. And okay. I flew down. I did the interview. They said, uh, you know, how much notice do you need? I go, maybe three days. And uh, and so they said, okay. And that, I, I came home and they didn't call me until January, but they said they called me in January. They said, we have a position in Cancun available, uh, but we do need you there as soon as possible. So if you can come down, we'd, uh, you know, we'll, we'll send you a ticket. I said, okay. So I spent three days wrapping my life up in Vancouver, sold my car. I, you know, I, I told my roommate that I was leaving and packed up all my stuff and put it at my parents' house. And three days later, I was down in Cancun. Okay. Now, wait a sec. You don't get off that easy because I hear a lot of stories about Club Med interviews. So did they make you do crazy science, tell a joke, or is it just one-on-one -on -one interview you and someone else? Uh, do you recall the person that interviewed you? I don't recall who it was. Uh, it was a really nice uh, lady from Canada who lived in the States. Uh, I'm afraid I don't know her name. Okay. I don't remember a lot from the interview, so I, I wish I could tell you a little bit more. But you would have remembered if they made you sing and dance, though, right? I, I would imagine. I, okay. I'm sure that many of the questions were, are you willing to do these things? Which okay. I, I you know, adamantly was like, yes, you know me from Columbus. I'm not, I don't shy away from doing crazy signs or shows. No, no, so no. I'm sure that I was very enthusiastic about it. All right. So, okay. So you pack up your whole life and did, had you ever been to Cancun, Mexico before? I had not. Uh, I had traveled a lot before. My mom worked for, a, for an airline. And so I'd, I'd been over to, to Asia, obviously New Zealand, to Europe. And uh, I had actually visited Club Med even before that Sonora trip. I had been to Turks and Caicos. So I was familiar with traveling around, uh, you know, the Caribbean and, and different places. So. What year were you in Turks? Do you remember? 1990. 
Oh wow, okay. And wait a minute, so you you weren't eighteen then? No, it wasn't a it wasn't a eighteen and over club at that time. Oh, oh so no, I, I know, no, I know. Yeah, you must have been pretty wide eyed, I'd imagine. That to... yes, that one was a bit of a shocker. I'm yeah, sure okay. I had, uh, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. I had some uh, some moments. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what this is, but I like this. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think that's what my thoughts were. Yeah, I think that was my my general feeling was, was <laughs> that this is a great place to be. Maybe I should work on getting my instructor. <laughs> so if you were Cancun in 98, were you, were you part of that big team? Because I had interviewed some people who were there in 97. So I'm wondering if any of these guys stayed over in 98. So who was your chief of village then in 98? So my chief of village was Kevin Bat. Okay, that's right. And... He was there. We were closing the village down. It was going to be going under major renova- renovations. Because of a hurricane uh, or spring. just because of reno- because of a hurricane or just renovations in general? Just renovations in general. They, okay. That was a, a major upgrade to the village at the time. They were trying to turn it into one of the flagships uh, of Club Med in the North American zone. So they were planning on closing it down. And it was actually the last season of scuba. At Cancun. That's right. Okay. And where were the uh, where were you going for dives then uh, in Cancun? Like, where is, I guess it was all excursion, or you left from the uh, um, I guess from you know where, where the pool is. Uh, sometimes boats could pull up there, right? I think uh, to no, Lagoon yeah. side or no? No, no. We we, we actually had a, a, a building down there, and there's a dock. The dock is still there, way on the uh, or right by the presidential palace. You know, past windsurfing, past snorkeling. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, that's right. By the geo rooms. That's right. Okay. Yeah, which was nice because you could wake up in three minutes and you were there, whereas all the other geos who had to go to the boutique or into the village had to walk. You know, the 10-15 minutes that it took to walk from uh, the uh, casitas uh, into into the village. So we were fortunate for that. But if you wanted to get breakfast before, or if you, uh, you know, had to run into the village for the sun dance or something like that, it was a long way to go. So did you put like boxes of cereal in your safe like I did? <laughs> I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure we, yeah, I'm sure I had a lot of snacks and things like that. there ready to go. Yeah. So did the scuba team kind of initiate you at all? Cause you know, I remember when I did Turks, uh, I wasn't an instructor, but I did get initiated. So I was just curious, uh, being a new guy, uh, did they put a piece of pizza in your buoyancy vest and then the Durgens came after you or anything like that? No, I don't remember anything like that. Uh, oh. Winnie was my chief of scuba and Winnie certainly wasn't against uh, practical jokes. <laughs> okay. um, but no, I think he was uh, he was a really good sport about it. It's actually really funny. The, the night that I got there, I, I arrived at probably about 11 o'clock at night. And uh, the assistant chief of scuba was this guy, Andre Lacroix, really nice guy. He, um, he came and picked me up from the front, but he was decked out in 70s gear because it was 70s night at the disco. And so, you know, he took me to my room and he, first thing he said, he's like, we got to get you decked out in 70s. You got to come party. Scuba team owns 70s night. So uh, it was back in the days when the scuba team, you know, really liked to party. And, uh, and so, you know, they found a wig for me, some glasses, a shirt and all this and, and took me there, uh, introduced me to Winnie. Winnie's buying me drinks and, you know, we're, we're dancing, we're having a good time. And he's like, just come in the morning, you know, don't worry about it. And we'll, uh, we'll get you on one of the boats. I think we had like a 715 and a 915 boat. So, uh, you know, we had a great time that night. It was a fun, fun way to kind of arrive and go full throttle so the next morning i wake up and you know it was like probably about 7 30 and and uh I, you know i wander down to the to the scuba shack when he's sitting there he's a little bit hungover he's got his glasses on and i 
I walk up and I'm like, hey, Winnie. And he's like, he looks at me, tilts the glasses down. Look, mate, if you're going to come, the boat's not going to wait for you. So when you sign up for the 715 boat, you got to be here on time. I'm like, Winnie, it's me. It's Nick. I was with you all night last night. <laughs> he didn't even recognize me. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. Well, he took me in and got me some equipment. And he's like, well, let's go for a dive on the, the 915 boat. So. We, uh, we ended up going out on the, the 915 boat. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> yeah. sure, that inspires confidence. Okay. Funny, he, uh, so, yeah, so he mistook you for a GM is what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So he, he just thought I was a, I was an obnoxious guest that was arriving late for the boat. And, didn't and, have, didn't uh, have your chip. Yeah, okay. Of course, okay. yeah. <laughs> you know, he wanted the special treatment, so. <laughs> About how, how big was your team, uh, your scuba team in Cancun then? I think we were about 13 or 14. What? Uh, really? I think it was, oh, wow. yeah, it was a big scuba team. We, uh, we had a, we had a lot of guys. It was, it was mostly Canadians and Americans, but we had about three or four French instructors, a couple female French instructors and a couple of, uh, uh, male French instructors from France. And, uh, and then it was just a, a few of us, uh, there was a few of us from Canada, a couple guys from the States. Yeah. Did you do night dives there? We did. We okay. did. That, that was actually like the best night there yeah. uh, because Winnie uh, in, you know, his, his fashion would negotiate a huge uh, dinner and barbecue afterwards. Yeah. So we'd all go down for the night dive and half the instructors would go and take people night diving. The other half stuck around and we used to get, I mean, cuts of chicken, uh, hamburgers, steak, all the, like all the trimmings you could think of Winnie would get a keg of beer for us and, it, it would be a big party. And what, we, what was really funny is a lot of other GOs would come and, and hang out for the scuba barbecue after the night dive, GOs from other, other uh, teams. And eventually we'd have, we'd always get like a bunch of guests who didn't even scuba dive, but they knew that it, they'd heard that it was a big party. So they'd come down and they'd, uh, they'd party. We'd have music we'd have uh you know maybe a bonfire going on the beach it was a lot of fun now did you start off by logging dives when you were there in 98 or you, you started and you went uh i can't do this anymore I'm, I'm diving every day did you start off at least logging or you never logged at all no i started off logging and and truthfully it's one of my big regrets that i didn't continue logging dives i ballparked that by the end of my career i'd probably done somewhere between 3,500 to 4,000 dives in my life, most of them in Club Med. And, uh, but I, I don't know that exact number. And then I remember uh, in Columbus, uh, Crystal Bolduc, she was up at, you know, 900 or 1,000 dives and she logged every dive. And I realized that I probably should have kept track. Uh, I wish I was better about it, but uh, I, I, I think I got about halfway through that season and then stopped logging dives. How many do you think you did overall again? Probably about 3,500 to 4,000 is what I've calculated. That's pretty impressive. That's a lot of water time blowing bubbles, my friend. Okay. And, and I have to preface that. Uh, some of that is um, uh, scuba diving I do here in the desert or that I used to do here. Because uh, I used to work for one of the, the shows on the Strip. And we would it was like a Cirque du Soleil type show. It's called Le Rev. And it was in a big pool. And I used to scuba dive underwater during the shows. And so I, I'm, I'm counting those dives as well. So I probably did a 1,500 or a couple thousand shows uh, scuba diving underwater during these shows. But How I would long? say total of all of those dives between Club Med and Larev, 
it was probably about 3,500 to 4,000. Just, yeah, just because I'm a little interested in this. So how long were you in the pool during one of the shows for 45 minutes, an hour? Yeah, the show was about uh, 75 minutes and we'd spend probably about 50 minutes of that 75 minutes underwater during the shows. And then we'd have five zero or one five five zero. Oh, okay. So you didn't have to equalize, I mean, or decompress after because you're probably not, you're shallow, right? I guess. Yeah. The deepest part of the pool was about 25 feet. And, uh, but oftentimes we'd be hanging out about 10 or 12 feet below the water. And yeah, it was, it was neat. It was, uh, you know, they had these big hydraulic lifts that would lift the stage up and down. So the stage would come down, we'd put props and set on the stage. So it'd come up and look all different. Performers would do an act and then they'd jump in the water and disappear. Well, we'd be there and we'd catch them, put them on scuba, take them out through these underwater tunnels and then bring new performers out who would appear out of nowhere, you know, for the illusion for the audience. And obviously we're safety and, and things like that. So, okay. Well, this is, sounds like another episode here. So I'm going to stop you there. Okay. We're <laughs> yeah. going to, we're going to, we're going to talk after this recording. Okay. All right. So we'll go back to Cancun. Um, so okay. I guess being a, being a world traveler and already being to, you know, you've, you traveled, uh, I think I recall even you telling me, are you fidgeting with something in your hands? Are you breaking my golden rule? Or is, oh, that, or is that the Corona? Are you popping a Corona? What are you doing there? Okay. <laughs> No, I was just adjusting in my seat, but uh, yeah, I think I think I recall you telling me yeah, since your mom, uh, which airline uh, did she work for again? Uh, she she worked for Cathay Pacific. Oh, that's uh, right. I remember you telling yeah. me you felt like going to the Hong Kong Sevens Rugby Tournament, and you just went right. I think I I think I remember yeah. you telling yeah, me this. I, so, I ended up going to uh, three or four four of them. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. So you probably had zero culture shock whatsoever when you started '98, uh, right? Like you were used to Europeans. Uh, I mean, you've been everywhere, so I guess you didn't have any culture shock uh, other than maybe topless women on the beach, I'm guessing. But uh, then again, you probably didn't have, you probably had zero culture shock. Like you just fit right in, right? Yeah, it it wasn't too much of a shock. I'll tell you what one of the big shocks was for me was New Yorkers. I hadn't had a lot of experience dealing with New Yorkers. And (laughs) at that time, we used to have a charter of 300 New Yorkers that would come down every week. So (laughs) that one was a bit of a culture shock for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I remember the... The, the one that stands out for me the most that uh, really, uh, you know, symbolizes my, my experience with New Yorkers. I had a, probably in my first couple of weeks of teaching scuba there, I had a class and we were doing the Club Med Resort course. So it was, uh, you know, we do the lesson one or lesson one and lesson two. Lesson one, we, we do a little briefing, you know, we talk about the do's and don'ts, you know, don't hold your breath, equalize early and often. And introduce them to the equipment and then we would walk out on the dock and we'd show them how to set the equipment up you know i i brought my class out uh, i think i had like three guys three girls uh, all from new york we set the equipment up and then i i showed them what we're going to practice in the water it was you know mass clearing recovering your regulator all that stuff so i thought i did a pretty good job and i'd briefed them and then uh you know i look at them i said okay let's get suited up and go. And this one girl just looks at me and goes, nope. And I was like, what? She's like, nope, not going to do it. See you later. I'm going to the bar. <laughs> and I was like, what just happened? And she just walked off and just didn't want to do it. And afterwards I went and I talked with her and we ended up being like really good friends all week. And she's like, yeah, I knew that I wouldn't enjoy it. I knew that I would panic in the water. So why am I going to go in and do it? I'm not going to waste my time doing that. And that was my introduction to New Yorkers where they just don't waste their time. They're not going to sugarcoat things. They're not going to, 
you know, go in the water and, and, you know, because they don't want to hurt your feelings or something like that. You know, she knew she wasn't going to do it. And so she just walked away and I was like, okay, this is what New Yorkers are like. They're, they're going to tell you exactly what they think. They're going to do what they want and they just don't have time for, you know, messing around. So <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm guessing you, so you arrived, uh, you said 98. So would this have been like January, uh, February that you arrived? Yeah, I think it was January. I think it was like the end of January, right? A couple of weeks before Valentine's Day, as I remember. So. Okay, so you got to spend then Christmas and New Year's at home. So were you happy about that, knowing later on in your club med career how how hard and difficult it is to work on <laughs> Christmas and New Year's? Like, did, would you realize that at the time that you you dodged a bullet or no? No, no, I, I I'd never really thought of it as that much as work. You know, when it comes to the club med life, I, I just enjoyed it so much that even on the days where it would get really busy and, you know, the holidays and all of that, it was something new. It was something fun. You know, we got to do different activities. You got to, I think uh, I did Easter and I, in Cancun and Kevin uh, got a bunch of animals from the the zoo. You know, you got the, the, the zoo keepers to bring some animals. So we had like a lion, a cheetah, I had a, they brought a camel and, and they needed somebody to ride the camel in. I can't even remember what the, the costume was, but they looked at me because I was willing to do anything. I was a, you know, a young guy willing to jump in and try anything. So they said, you know, do you want to ride the camel into the village for, for this skit, for this passage? I was like, yeah, of course. So I have a picture of me riding a camel into, uh, into the main village. I think I was just delivering some Easter prize or something like that. For me, for me, I enjoyed the holidays. I always found it to be more fun. So I guess to answer your question, it was, I guess I, I probably would have regretted not being there for Christmas and New Year. Now you mentioned activities and I remember you, you were quite the dancer in Columbus. So now did that come easy for you or you had to learn? You're very kind because, uh, no, I remember you in the I, Austin Power people... show, uh, I, you know, of course I'd sit in that theater and there was no one else in there, but you guys were giving it your all. And I remember you in the front row now, now did you become a good dancer or you, you always were? I'd say I'd be, I'd say I became a good dancer because okay. of Club Med. In my early seasons, they always told me that I was going to be in the back row because I was tall. Yeah. I learned after a little while that that was just a line that they gave to people like me who were clumsy and uncoordinated. So. Yes, yes, yes. I myself started in the back row, but then the choreographers they're they're pretty clever because uh, once you know, once they realize you can you can do an eight count and you and you can memorize steps, then slowly you you advance. So it doesn't your height doesn't really matter anymore. It's just that you can remember the steps. I've noticed. <laughs> yes. Well, you know the the typical French choreographer's test was the pas de bourre. Can you do a pas de bourre? <laughs> <laughs> and if you could do one, then yeah, then they would put you in some of the more advanced numbers. Yeah, like a techno can-can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's bringing back some memories. <laughs> so while you were in the uh, resort of Cancun, did you ever look around at what other people were doing, like the land sports guy, and say, I want to try that? Or you you always wanted to stay a scuba instructor? I think at that time, I, I was really... I really enjoyed scuba so much that I just wanted to stay in scuba. I did uh, my first couple seasons because after Cancun, I went to Sonora, back to Sonora Bay. I did scuba there. But my following my third season, uh, the one after that, I actually went to Copper Mountain and was a snowboard instructor. And I think that was fun as an eye opening experience of trying a different service and realizing that there was a lot more to offer 
in the club med world than just staying on the, the scuba team. You know, there was always a lot of prestige with the scuba team. We were always the biggest team on the sports team. And I had Winnie as my chief of, of scuba for uh, my first couple of seasons. And he always took a lot of pride in the scuba team being number one on the sports team. So I think there was a, that natural attraction just to stay on the sports team or on the uh, scuba team for a while. Who was your chief of sports there? My chief of sports was this Italian guy named Geronimo. Oh yeah. Okay. Do you know Geronimo? I, I know the name. I mean, I've never met him, but yeah. I, know, I know of him. Yes. He was, he was probably one of the first Italian guys I met and he was a very typical Italian in that he just had a ton of energy and he just loved people. He loved being around people. He spoke like five or six languages. So all of his announcements, you know, he would just effortlessly jump language to language. And, uh, you know, he was a really nice guy. You know, he had a, he was a really good leader uh, as far as a lot of people, you know, I mean, everybody respected what he did. Uh, we had one incident. Uh, we had some rough seas and we were trying to get our, uh, our big scuba boat through the reef, uh, the gap in the reef. Uh, during that, the uh, rescue boat, the little Boston whaler that we had broke free and one of the instructors jumped in to go and to try to bring it back, but it got flipped onto the reef and the, uh, the instructor was fine. He swam back to our big boat, but we had to call the Cancun police and tell them that, you know, our boat was on the reef and all of that. And so we had to go and find Geronimo. And I vividly remember his first reaction. Uh, and this was something that I always tried to emulate. His first reaction more than anything, he just stopped everything. He goes, is everybody okay? Did anybody get hurt? Is there, is anybody, does anybody need to go to the hospital? And we were like, nope, everyone's all right. And he just took a breath. Okay, let's move on. Let's, let's go and we'll figure out how we can get the boat off, off the, uh, the reef. But I always respected him for that. And I was tried to emulate that because he, as a leader, he, he was really good about, you know, caring about his people first and foremost and, and their safety of his people. So I thought that was kind of a, a quality that I always wanted to have when I became a leader. Yeah, it is. Um, besides Geronimo, were there any other geos? Like they didn't, didn't have to be a chief of service or anything, but did any other geos stand out to you uh, in a positive way? Uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, a lot of good friends that season. One of the one of the scuba instructors that I ended up going to Sonor Bay with was this guy Mark, uh, Mark Scuba, and uh, we ended up becoming. We still we're still in contact on Facebook all the time. He lives in Montreal now. He only did a couple seasons. Let's see who else did we have there that season. I, it was it was a very bizarre season because it was the or most of the geos were going off to other villages. I think we closed in at the end of April. So that's usually, so that was beyond the normal transition time. Usually everyone in, you know, the end of March to the beginning of April, everyone's switching villages. So all the people that were staying were people that were okay with uh, closing the village down so that it could uh, go through its renovations. And, uh, and so it was hard for me because I was having to see a lot of people go, all these people that I was making friends with because I was the new guy there. And they were all kind of on the tail end of their season as we got closer to it and they were all leaving and there were just, you know, more or less a skeleton crew by the end staying and, and closing the village out. Besides your first night scuba seventies party and the uh, rough sea store, do you have any, any other clean appropriate stories uh, that you recall that happened from that first season? It doesn't have to be yeah. funny, but 
I don't know. Do you go on excursion or anything happen um, at Daddio's? I don't know. Yeah. No, um, I did. I had a, uh, that was back in the day when we used to work seven days a week. It was, you know, that was a normal thing. I remember that the equinox was going to be happening at Chichen Itza, uh, the, the Mayan ruin. Oh, yes. Um, uh, during the equinox, the Kukulkan, the big pyramid, would have a, a snake tail going down the side from the angle of the sun That's right. uh, for like three days. And there would always be big parties and big festivals at Chichen Itza. So I remember I had to beg Winnie for probably three weeks and he would make me do all of these horrible duties so that I could have that day off and I could go out to Chichen Itza to, to witness it and to see the, the snake tail down the, the Kukulkan pyramid. Oh, wait, was one uh, of those one of those duties cleaning vomit out of the regulators? Uh, no, the fish did that very nicely. So we okay. never okay. had too much of a problem with that. Okay, sorry, go on. No, no. So that was that was one of my most memorable moments of that first season was, was getting to go out and to witness that. I'm a little bit of a history buff and I really enjoy... Uh, you know, witnessing or seeing the ruins and all of that. So to be there during that special time was was pretty cool. Mm, great, great. I'm guessing you're the type of guy that likes crazy signs. I don't know why. It's just a vibe I get. So if you did, do you, ha- you, do you have a top three? I, I just I just see you, uh, you, you know, like I'm recalling you in Columbus. You always had a smile on your face. Uh, you, I don't yeah, know if you no, like. I love crazy. Do you like? Do, I, uh, do you like Muevolo? <laughs> people people <laughs> seem to love Muevolo. I don't not know. Not like Muevolo. <laughs> okay. No, I, I was a bit of a traditionalist. I'd probably say that Hands Up was was still my favorite. I think it just evoked a lot of really happy memories for me. You know, probably even from when I was a guest in my GM days, because it was such a uh, universal crazy sign. But I uh, I also uh, got into Move Your. Oh yes, Move Your Butt. Trying to be nice yeah. for your podcast. Move yes. Your- but yeah <laughs> yes, kind yes of that, that one techno uh, spastic <laughs> um, techno dance yeah i, I like that one because it was basically the opposite direction it was how much energy you could put into your crazy sign yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then and then i think my third favorite crazy sign was one that uh, started a, a two or three years later was uh, ice cream remember that one? Oh yes okay yeah uh, was that a uh, spanish one i think uh... no no, no it uh, wasn't. Was oh, one. wait, ice cream. Uh, I, yeah, I remember, I, like, just slide a little. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. that's right. Okay. Yeah, it was, I don't know why. I just really loved that one. Uh, I got into it when we were, when we did a season in Turks and Caicos. And, uh, and so that was a, probably another one of the ones that I just loved being up on stage doing. In the years that you left Club Bed, did you ever find yourself, I don't know, say in a grocery store or something and you hear a song and you go, oh, this would make such a good crazy sign. Did that ever happen to you when you heard a song? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, you never stop being a geo you know i i, I remember recommending a, a friend to become a geo and she ended up going and she was a choreographer for a while but it was basically i told her that at the two-year mark once you've done about two years in club med you're just you're a geo for life like you are a club medder for life and it, you never really get it out of your system you know there's people that go and it's they, they do a season or a couple seasons and they think fondly of their time in club med but the ones who, who stayed a long time, the ones who got past that two-year mark were the ones that just became Club Med lifers, like geo lifers. And, you know, you, you always remember your Club Med times. You, you, you just think about things differently. You interact with people differently. So that happens all the time, you know, where you'd hear music or you would uh, do that. I think it took me six months to get out of my system of walking down the sidewalk and not saying hello to people. I, I would randomly be walking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> around Las Vegas and just being like, hey, how's it going? Hello. And getting these 
freaky looks from people because it was just so natural by the end of my club med career to, to say hello to people as you walk by and, and you know, just to do the little things, hold the door open, big smile all the time. It just, you know, that was the world we lived in. And, and it, it took a, you know, it, it still is a, a kind of a big part of our life. Well said. I could not agree more. I had the same problem. So just out of curiosity, is Cancun where you met your future wife, Veronica? It is. It except is. Except it was two years later. <laughs> Whoa. All right. I, I met her. Yeah, I did. I did Cancun and I was there for about three or four months. And then I went to Sonora Bay. Wait, did you request uh, Sonora or that's where they, they said, I did. Uh, Nick, we, okay. Winnie, you Winnie was going there and, oh, okay. and Winnie were, had gotten along so well. So he had, uh, he had requested me to, to come with him, which was really exciting, but I did Sonora. That was actually Hammer's first season. So it was a pretty magical season. And I ended up staying with Hammer for three seasons. So we went to Copper Mountain after that, and I was a snowboard instructor. And then we went back to Cancun and that's where I met Veronica. Uh, okay. So this would so, have been then what? 2009. Oh, 99. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. So, you, okay. Yeah. So I'm going to have her on later. Okay. So uh, <laughs> let's see if she remembers the story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope their stories match up. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. So when I, I met when I met you guys in ninety nine two thousand, yes, you were a, a couple. I was just curious uh, where where you had met. Uh, yeah, that was our. Cancun. That was our. We had met the season before. I, I uh, went from Cancun to Columbus, where I met yes. you, and she came shortly thereafter. Yeah, you probably weren't aware of this, but I I kind of had a kind of a guy crush on you in Columbus, like you know, uh, you know, platonic, of course, you know. But I I don't know if you if you sensed that, but uh, I, I don't know. I just liked you a lot, you know. I don't know if you sensed this. It was a guy well, crush. I'll call it that, you know. Oh, you fair so, enough. So oh, cool, so cool, so nice. Always in a good mood, you know. Well, well, thanks, Greg. I uh, I can't say I was fully aware of that, but I mean, I, <laughs> I always considered you one of my close. Friends, I hit I hit so. it well. Yeah, no, it was hard. I remember leaving. Like it was hard leaving you. I remember it was, yeah. uh, I think we're outside the disco and I'm like, what's going on here? What are these feelings? I don't have feelings. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Greg, my man cried. Awesome. <laughs> well, that was a great, like I, I mentioned to you uh, a couple of days ago, that was, uh, you know, even though, even though it was my third time there, I, I didn't really want to go because, but I love Columbus, but that the team, uh, the team there that was assembled was like, wow, <clears throat> talk about a lot of talent that was there. So you and a lot of other people just made me forget, you know, and uh, it was a uh, you know beautiful time, beautiful resort, and uh, nothing but good memories uh, from that from that season. No, it was oh, it was uh, it was a great team, and you know I, I I made a lot of lifelong friends. I think I was pretty fortunate, you know, especially in those first few years to be a part of some really amazing team. Hammer had put together uh, a, a really amazing team, and you know that he he had a great group of guys that would go around. So I did three seasons with Hammer as chief of village. And then Columbus was just, yeah, it was fantastic. It was a magical season. You know, we, we spent a year there. We did, like you said, uh, Y2K there, which yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, was, was a lot of fun, but it, it was, it was, uh, those were a lot of really great times. And I think I was, I think that's what hooked me on Club Med so much was getting to be a part of some really good teams and meeting a lot of really good people, especially in those early years. And, and that's what really kept me going uh, in Club Med for so long. So when did you, what year did you leave Club Med? Uh, I left in the end of 2004, what December was, of 2004. What was your last position? We were in, uh, I was chief of sports. So I had done a couple seasons as chief of scuba, uh, some really successful ones in uh, Turks and in Columbus. And I'd done the chief of sports stage and uh, me and Veronica went to Kibera in Japan, 
and uh, we did a season there. And I guess it's a similar story to to you uh, from Columbus in that at the end of the season, you know, we worked hard. I thought I'd put in a really good season, but they didn't have a, a village for me as as chief of sports. And they basically uh, the effector in Paris said, "Go home, and uh, maybe in April or May we'll have a village for you." After everything that I'd done in Club Med and and having risen to chief of sport and you know, there was a little talk of potentially, you know, in a couple of years of becoming, uh, you know, going on to the, the chief of village list. I guess at the time, I felt like it was a little bit of a snub that they couldn't find somewhere to send me and Veronica. And so in my heart, I think I lost a lot of steam uh, for Club Med. Uh, and we just decided that it was the right time to settle down. And Veronica was okay with it. I was okay with it. And we had to uh, figure out where we were going to live because Vancouver was very expensive and California was. So we settled on Vegas. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, that's a good compromise, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, who, who doesn't well, love, who doesn't love Vegas? City. Yeah. yeah, well, it's a good transition city because like a Club Med Village, you know, there's always a lot going on. I, uh, I think that was the hardest part about going back to reality was... You know, the, what would happen in the span of a week in Club Med, I always called it like Melrose Place to date myself, but I always thought of it like Melrose Place where, you know, you'd have a week, sort of like an episode, and all these things would happen, and this person would meet this person, this person would have a fight with this person, this drama would go on, we'd be dancing crazy signs, it would be, it would be you know, this whirlwind throughout the week, and then at the end of the week, all the guests left, new guests came, and it all started again, like a new episode. And then when you go home, it was the reality set in, whereas instead of in the span of a week, you know, all of these events would happen over the span of a couple months. And it was this um, almost like a detox of, of, you know, of stimulation uh, that you would feel uh, when you when you left Club Med, because you're so used to that fast paced lifestyle, always being around all of that. And then to come to a place where you just work you know, nine to five where, you know, your nights are off, you can go to bed whenever you want. You're not doing rehearsals at one in the morning. It was, it was a little weird transitioning back to normal life. Vegas, a good, uh, a nice happy medium because, uh, you know, Vegas did have a more of a nightlife, more entertainment and things like that. Okay. I heard you use the, my secret word magical for two different seasons, because usually one of my last questions is which season of yours <laughs> did you find was magical? What you know, I mean, you could like resorts for different reasons, but I'm just curious if you have one that was magical over all the others. Was it your first one because it was your first season in Cancun, or do you consider another one like really magical? That's a hard one because you can you, know, you can uh, plead the fifth. Like you don't have to answer it. You can say they all were. You know, it's no problem. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say they all were okay. um, because I think when I think I did you know seven years or almost seven years in Club Med. So you're bound to have one where there's some hiccups or that, you know, it, it, it didn't go as, as well as the other. The, the season in Columbus uh, that we did together was certainly one of those magical seasons for me. I ended up going back and I had a great season when I went back about three years later, but there was something about that year that was just, I mean, absolutely amazing. Yeah, no, no it's true. Cause I had, I had, I did Columbus twice for a year stretch. And uh, that, that last time the, the third, you know, the, my third trip there was, yeah, was different from, from those four that I'd already did. So no, the, the, yeah, the talent was, 
was just so stacked. I mean, the team was, I mean, geez, uh, I mean, it was crazy yeah. how much talent was there. I mean, look, even one of the, yeah. one of the life, one of the lifeguards at the pool is a chief of village now. I mean, come on, that's how much talent we had, you know, Duda, <laughs> Duda became chief of village. I mean, uh, and the, you, you know, and if, if you've never been to Columbus, you'll laugh that he even had a lifeguard, but there was two lifeguards for the pool of Columbus, which was shaped like a postage stamp. So <laughs> I know, I know. It's amazing. No, it was. And, and, and I would say that my other season was Sonora in 98, the one after my first season. So my second season, because it was Hammer's first season as a chief of village, everyone wanted it to succeed. And we had, we had, a you know, a, just a tremendous amount of talent and characters and just a lot of great memories and rent to villages uh you know where the whole village gets rented out and you know it was it, you know those those were some some pretty amazing seasons and I still keep in contact with so many of those people what I always love about it is that I pick up right where I left off with a lot of those friends for instance I had uh, one of my best friends from Sonora uh was this uh hostess named Holly great friend you know i mean obviously you know we followed each other on facebook but we hadn't even contacted each other probably in 15 years and then i knew that she lived in florida in jacksonville or near jacksonville in st augustine and just out of the blue i i got assigned a trip to jacksonville and i had about a 20-hour layover and so i was like i'm gonna rent a car and i'm gonna go pop down and say hi what i found amazing was and i've done this now with a bunch of geos because i i'm a I'm a pilot. I fly all over the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just ruined my next question, but okay, no problem. Don't don't say don't say too much because Nick has agreed to come on for another podcast where he's going to tell us about the airline industry. So yeah, don't say too much right now. All right. (laughs) One of one of the neat things that I've done is to reconnect with people that I haven't seen in ten or fifteen years. And what I find amazing is that we just pick up right where we left off. Uh, It's you know it's as if I saw them the week before. We see each other, we say hi, we start joking, we talk about the old times, and we go right into it. And that, that's for me so emblematic of what, of what Club Med life was like, of why so many of us you know, were, for lack of a better term, addicted to, to Club Med life because the interactions were, were so genuine and so real and they were lifelong. And it just, you know, it was... It was really neat to, to, to reconnect with people like that and to, to have that experience of not seeing them for 15 years, coming and just picking up like we were working in the same village again, uh, or working in the village that we were in before. And, you know, it, it, it reaffirmed how great Club Med is and how great of friendships and how great of a life it was working in there and being able to pick up right pick up like that with these old friends well that's well said sir you were absolutely right i could not have put it better do you have any advice for someone listening to this who's thinking about doing uh, working at club Med? should they do it oh my god yes it's uh it's such a you have to you really do have to be a, a people person you have to want to be around people because you know club med is it, it's, it's just a an abundance of of experiences and what's funny is my son, me and Veronica's son, uh, Tristan, he's 13 now, and we're here in Las Vegas. He's, uh, he's doing a circus school here in Las Vegas. So he does trapeze, he does uh, trampoline and tramp wall, and he's doing all these different circus acts. And he's already told us that when he turns 18, he wants to become a GO. And the one thing that I, that I keep trying to tell him is, you know, you, you've got you've to be ready just to jump into experiences. 
You know, you've got to be ready to to um, open up and try new things because those are the memories you have. My memory of riding a camel in Cancun, uh, my memory of, you know, the, you know, my New Yorker, my memory of, you know, doing different scuba dives. Uh, you know, that's the, the advice that I would have is just, if it's something you want to do, just do it. And when you get there, don't hold back. You know, when someone invites you to do something, when someone encourages you to try something new, when a choreographer encourages you to, try a dance number and you're nervous, you're, you're not quite sure whether you should do something like that. Just do it because that's where you really find yourself and you, you, you find friends and you create bonds and you, you know, you have these great stories of, uh, you know, things that happen that, you know, maybe wouldn't have happened if you hadn't have jumped in and just tried it. So it's, it's sort of that just do it mentality. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much, Nick, for coming on the show. And uh, like, I'm not saying goodbye to you because I know you, you agreed to come on later and talk about what it's like being a commercial airline pilot. And we're going to get into all that later on. Uh, but for this, for this podcast, I really want to thank you for sharing your story with us. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, oh, it's my pleasure. Craig. I uh, loved being on with you. And uh, I guess, you know, our, our man crushes on each other. Uh, you know, it's good that we reconnected apparently. <laughs> yeah. Let me know when you come back to Montreal. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. Nick Margellos. Uh, we will see you all next week. Bye.